0: This is the Renewing Our City podcast, session number two. Welcome to the Renewing Our City podcast. This is the podcast that help you share Jesus and serve others from your own backyard to around the world. I'm your host, Matt Shaw, and we have a ton to learn today. What's up, guys? Today's interview is jam packed with inspiration, tips, and nuggets of ideas of ways that you can reach out in your own community. Today's special guest is none other than one of my good friends, Rusty Boroff. Rusty is the executive director and founder of the 180 Zone. It's a ministry that helps prevent, reach, and develop people in crisis, addiction, and poverty. Boy, do I love ministries like the 180 Zone. They have an excellent ministry that partners with local churches, and I'm so excited to bring you this interview today. The 180 Zone truly is all about renewing our city. And in this interview, Rusty's going to share his powerful story of founding the 180 Zone and a ton of other info on how to love and care for those in your neighborhood, those in your city who are in crisis, addiction, and poverty. Rusty is the real deal, so I hope you enjoy this Interview. Well, welcome to the show. I got my uh, good friend, Rusty Boroff, here uh, with the 180 Zone Ministry. He's actually in my hometown, and I've been pretty excited to interview him, but welcome to the show, Rusty.
1: Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here.
0: Well, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? I know you pretty well. I've heard your story at least a dozen or more times, but uh, can you... Why don't you just start out telling your testimony. I think it's cool, and then we'll get into your ministry and how you're going to bless the audience.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I grew up in a small town, uh, awesome family, Christian home. I grew up in a uh, small church, and for me, my perspective on God was He was a rules God. I didn't know anything about His grace or His love for me. And so um, growing up in a small town, everyone knew who you were. Everyone knew our family. And I remember my first real, I think, encounter with God was um, when I was... Uh, younger 10 11 years old and uh, my best friend ended up dying in a car wreck and I remember that the moment leaving his uh, funeral I started thinking about that a little more, and, and I started questioning God. I remember sitting in the back seat of my parents' car, and for the first time I was asking who God was and, and asking, how could God let something like this happen to Evan, uh, who is my age? And I remember that just kind of rocked my world. And ever since then, I started pushing away and pulling away from God. And uh, eventually, even though I grew up in an awesome family with, with great Christian, hardworking parents... Um, I had nothing, I didn't want anything to do with God. And so starting in junior high, I just started making bad decisions. You know, I wish I could tell you that, um, you know, it, it was just one or two bad things that happened in my life. But honestly, it was the first time in, in eighth grade when I started smoking a cigarette. You know, it was the first time that um, I back-talked, you know, to the principal. It was, it was all those little decisions that uh, led me to, During doing the first major dumb thing that I'd ever done, and that was uh, putting ex-lax in my teacher's drink, and uh, got suspended for from school for ten days. Good Uh, Christian kid,
0: putting (laughs) ex-lax?
1: Yep. No way. Yep. My first uh, suspension from school, and had uh, I was gone for ten days. You weren't a pastor's
0: kid, were you? No, I wasn't. Okay, good. No,
1: Um, (laughs) and uh, eventually. Um, that continued on, continued on through high school and uh, once again it was just the little decisions that that led me down a, a long dark road and got kicked off all my sports teams and eventually my junior year um, I got in trouble with the law and the judge thought that sending me to the military would be the best thing and so when I was uh, 17 between my junior and senior year I went into the military and I would say that's my first good encounter with God. Um, I started reading my Bible, I started diving into His Word and, and started to change my life. But the first day back when I got back from the military, my first day of my senior year, um, I got right back in the same group that I always got in trouble with. And drugs and drinking, I uh, got involved and eventually I spent my first night in jail. And uh, throughout my senior year, it was just a mess. I finally got expelled and had to go to an alternative school. And it was just a tough time in my life. Literally, drugs and drinking was the only thing that I cared about. Girls. And I got in a lot of trouble. And after my senior year, went back into the military, finished that out. Had some highlights of my life. I was a private investigator for a while, which is an awesome experience. But moved away and... Um, Once again, drugs, specifically cocaine, uh, came back into my life and things went downhill. Ended up homeless, lost my job, kicked out of the military, and started really um, becoming a full blown addict. And that led me to a jail. And I went into cell 121. And really, for the first moment in my life, I was real with God. And I told God it was time I wanted to change and I would spend the next year of my life in that jail cell And some of the toughest hardest moments of my life because at the same time There was a woman out there who was carrying my son And I'll never forget that experience because I literally had no control in that situation and I think God knew exactly What it would take to get my attention and that was cell 121 and that's When I was in there I had an awesome support group. I had people who would write letters and send me mail and books. and But I was in with federal inmates, guys who were doing life in prison. And each one of them, n- none of them had a family who supported them. None of them had visits, people that wrote them letters. And that's really where the vision of what we now know as the 1A Zone came into effect because... My goal, I told myself that I wasn't going to spend my time while I was in jail talking, getting involved in the drama, and wasn't going to be watching TV. But instead, I dedicated myself to reading, praying, and really writing down the vision of the 180 zone. And, And today, in the trunk of my car, I still have all the letters that I really started the 180 zone with. And through that experience... I wanted to create a safe place for these guys when they got out of jail and when they got out of prison, because they needed a support group and they didn't have it. And so that was my goal. And once I got out, um, as a felon, I couldn't find a job. So I sold vacuum cleaners for a while, ended up roughing for a little (laughs) bit. And eventually God opened up the door for me to start the 180 zone. And... I wish I could tell you it happened just like that, but it didn't. You know, me and two buddies went and bought a trailer for $500 in Milan, Illinois, and just started housing guys that were coming off the streets. And then we were able to open up our men's home, and now our women's home, and things are moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty awesome ministry, and I love hearing your story. I've heard it, you know, at least a dozen times, and it's pretty cool to uh, one is you say it's cut co- so consistently every time, but I remember one detail you kind of left out and I wanted to hit on this real mm-hmm. quick, but I remember you talking about a man that uh, really uh, helped you change your life in prison because mm-hmm. a lot of times dudes are in the jail cell, they're doing all those things, watching TV, just wasting away, time's getting really slow. What did that man... One is how old was he and what did he do, you know, (laughs) to really affect your life in prison.
1: His name was Merle Johnson and he was a guy who would come in every Sunday and he would hold a class and you have to understand Merle, amazing guy, awesome heart, but he was like 90 years old he was not the most exciting speaker in the world. And he would actually fall asleep during his own sermons. And that's not a joke. He would actually literally fall asleep while he was talking to you. and But it wasn't what Merle said that really made a difference. It's, it's what he did. And by him showing up to that jail cell every Sunday, like clockwork, it showed me that God still cared and loved me enough, that there was still a future for me. And beyond that, it showed me that someone still believed in me. You know, even though I had a terrible reputation, even though I was facing, you know, 14 plus years in prison and, and my reputation was, was, was mud, there was still a guy out there who was still willing to give me a chance. And I'll never forget what Merle did for me. And one of the greatest honors, once I got out of jail, I was able to go back in with Merle um, on the other side of the bars and, and do ministry with him. That is so. cool. That is
0: cool, and I've kind of been a part of the 180 Zone now, uh, serving within our church and getting uh, a church, our church to partner with the 180 Zone is more of a non-profit partnership uh, with our local church, getting people plugged in, serving, so I've kind of seen it just grow and develop uh, after it's already matured, but... Uh starting out I really want to I want to I'm going to dive into the meat of some of this but I want to talk about uh, just the the name of this podcast just renewing our community renewing our city and how to how you work and identify the needs and and the ways uh that we can help and reach out in our cities and our towns. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. What are some of those ways that you've really researched and, and looked into that?
1: you know I, I've tried a lot of different programs and and studies and stats and things like that, but honestly uh, what I found that works the best is just building relationship with the community you know when you when you just pick up your phone and and call the school and say what is what's a need um, yeah. they'll tell you and so just putting your some 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 Feelers out there, just to say, start building relationships, whether it be with the school, with the with the police department, uh, with the community, with the people living in the community. You'll really start to understand what the actual need is, and I think that's the best. Um, I've tried pursuing in other ways, you know, by hearing a stat and getting all excited about it, you know, and and putting yeah. this elaborate plan together. But to be honest, what we found out that has the most success is just getting out in the community and simply asking the people who, the teachers, asking uh, the people who are, who are working inside the jails, you know, and building a relationship with them and saying, hey, what is it in this community that we can do to help? And what you realize is the people who are living in that community, the people who are doing work in that community, they know firsthand um, what the need is versus just seeing it on a piece of paper
0: yeah i know that's my experience working uh, with part of the 180 zone with uh, what they call the west end initiative but pretty much uh, rusty and and the group has identified pretty much a neighborhood around an elementary school and said this is where we want to attack i know in your office you have a map drawn with some lines of Mm -hmm. saying this is our target area how'd you identify that target area Uh, mercer county yeah Uh,
1: it's really what um where God opened up the doors, you know. Um, And I think for us, you know, we we tried doing stuff all over uh, our area. And what we found out was that God just kept, it wasn't that I just woke up someday and took a huge map and drew a, a circle, you know, or you a square. Just... Um, what happened was that square ended up being all the way around the community, but pretty soon God started closing up those boundaries for us. And uh, we just clearly knew that it seemed like everything that came our way was targeted in a certain area, geographical area. And so um, really, I honestly believe that God took things out of the picture and tightened up that picture for us and gave us those boundaries Um, and a lot of it had to do with the school system a lot of it had to do with um, like I said earlier the jails the prisons when we started looking at where the need is is everyone told us it was in this geographical region and so that's how we came up with that area
0: so I know we have talked a lot and just it's so many opportunities so Mm -hmm. many needs how do you really decide, how could you give some wisdom to our listeners on uh, how, how can they narrow their focus and, and uh, goals to a specific area or people? I know you, uh, in the 180 zone, do so many different mm-hmm. things. Yeah. How, how, how can people really narrow their focus on what God is calling them to do, just like He's done in yeah. your life?
1: Well, um I, I kind of had to learn the, the hard way. You know, when we first started, we were doing 8,000 different things and, and spread all over the place. And what I realized through my experience is that there was a um, difference between a passion and a burden. You know, passions come and go. Uh, one day I'd be passionate about, a you know, feeding kids and you know, in the south side of the town. And the next day I was passionate about, you know, sex trafficking and and helping bring awareness to that. And my passions were all over the map, literally. And uh, one day God just put on my heart that there were certain things that it hurt not to do. And I think that's the difference between a passion and a burn. Passions come and go. Burns are those things where it literally hurts not to do. Um, I'm a busy guy, but... In one of my volunteer times, what I do is I go into Scott County Jail as a volunteer, and if I don't do that, it literally hurts me. Hmm. Um, and so I, that's how I've narrowed down what it is—not only what the 180 zone is—is is supposed to do, but what I'm supposed to do in my personal life. And it's those things that hurt not to do. You know, if there's um, something that God lays on your heart or you get excited about. But in two weeks, you forget about it. Um, to be honest, it, it's probably not a burden. It's, but if, you, if God lays a family on your heart or a project on your heart, and you can't help but think about it nonstop, then that's, that's what a burden is. And those are the things that I think God is really calling us to.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of in the same boat with ministry. Like I just became an outreach minister, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I take over global missions, and you're going, how do I do this? And I yeah. think a lot of people are in the same boat where you have a thousand different options because you're mm-hmm. passionate, you want to serve the Lord, you love them, you know there's needs out there, and people can just bombard them. And I, I think it's so crucial, and I've, I've seen you grow in this, is we need to pick certain areas and narrow our focus so we can do things better and more efficient and uh, bless more people where the re- the need really mm-hmm. is that we can actually help and real quick why don't you explain kind of who are the people that you help we've kind of talked about the jails but who, who what are the different uh, areas that the 180 zone really supports and helps
1: yeah, well, we focus on three things. <laughs> prevent, reach, and develop. Um, and prevent is ministering to communities that are high poverty, low income areas. And then our reach is, is reaching. And our goal with prevent is to prevent them from ever you know, becoming a drug addict or somebody that carcer- you got to reach exactly, and then reach is reaching out to those who are already in those positions, uh, the people who are in the jails, the prisons, people who are homeless, have addictions, uh, victims of sex trafficking and human trafficking, and then our developed component is where we. Um, are developing those people that we've reached. You know, it's it's, it's life groups and small groups. It's um, getting them involved in our men's and women's homes where they actually live, and they'll be there for over a year of their life. And so... Those are our three areas, and, and anytime something comes across our desk as an opportunity, we have to evaluate that and say, okay, does this fit into the mission and the vision of the 180 zone? And oftentimes it doesn't. It doesn't mean that that thing is, is bad. It just means that we aren't called to do it. And we've been down that road, um, even me personally, where we spend so much time doing you know, so many different things, you know, 20%. And it's not what God's calling us to do. And we aren't really do, we're doing a lot of good things, but we aren't doing anything really great. And so that's why I think it's important to evaluate things and to say, okay, does this fit into my personal mission? Does it fit into the mission that God's calling our church to? Does it fit into the mission of, of what God's calling our nonprofit to do? And I think you have to look at those things.
0: That's awesome. Um, just kind of with that, I mean, just as I was hearing you talking about that, and you guys have your uh, uh, prevent, reach, and develop these people. Mm-hmm. I should probably know that a little better. <laughs> prevent, reach, and develop. I mean, it's been pretty cool. And, and really, a lot of these people, we could do that. I could say, okay, I want to go to my neighborhood. Or I want to go to a foreign country. And that, that really uh, can go across any boundaries. Mm-hmm. But... Really specifically, I want to talk about the reaching part, and mm-hmm. and, and in the men's and women's home. I know uh, we've we've talked before, and just you can share the audience. What's this men and women's home look like, and how have you kind of developed that over time from the trailer yeah. for 500 bucks to mm-hmm. now you have two facilities? Yeah.
1: We call them um, our residential facilities. Are I I describe them best as incubators for life change, um, and the reason I say that is because uh, in our intake packet, when someone fills out an application to come in our home, the first paragraph, it talks about Jesus and his saving grace. And it says that if you're expecting the 180 zone or a program to change your life, then we're going to fail you. You, The only person who has the capabilities of changing your life is, is Jesus Christ. And so by calling us an incubator for life change, all we do— as in our residential facilities is create a safe environment for that life change to happen and so man i love that That's yeah awesome and and so we have we have uh five phases in our program everything from assessment phase which is the first 30 days to our fourth phase which is four months and they work their way up through the program our men's and women's home deal with men or women who, uh, specifically women who are victims of sex trafficking or um, have addictions in their life. Many of the men are coming out of jail or prison or homeless, and we've had everything from you know, quote bums on the street to business owners who, they're they're just become addicts. Yeah, and so uh, we have a wide range of people. And within those homes, um, from six to seven, they'll have a Bible study every morning. Then they go into a class time portion of our pro- or of our program. They'll do that for four hours where they're learning life skills, Bible studies. Um, and then they go into our uh, work program, which is where we have businesses that employ our residents, teach them the skills and trades that they need to know that maybe they don't have. Uh, we actually em- employ them. So it's, it's a real life employment experience, everything from a resume to a job application to an interview, we can hire them, we can fire them, and it really gives them that experience that most of them haven't had. You know, you take that guy who just got out of prison. When he fills out a resume, he will have a four-eight year job gap on that resume, and as an employer, that's not very attractive. A
0: yeah, big red flag. Yep, that's
1: a big red flag, and so what we can do by employing him is is putting on a reference. On that application, cool. on that resume form, and we can teach him a skill and a trade that maybe he's never learned, but it's something that he can take in the community and put to put to use. We also teach entrepreneurship. All five of our businesses have been entre- entrepreneured by our residents, and so we see that as a uh, as a resource for them that they can they can pursue. So our residential facility, uh, they'll spend over a year of their life there. Um, it's not easy, you know, honestly. I don't know if I would make it through the program. Yeah. That's how structured it is. There's no cell phones. There's no relationship with the opposite sex. Um, it's it's intense. So, and,
0: so let me let me jump in there real yeah. quick. Is you're finding you're getting these guys, and whether it's you're you're in the prison ministry or somebody refers them, or they uh, you know uh, put an application in for themselves. Why do they need to get away and be in this incubator? I mm-hmm. I, th- I, think uh, I can lead the question a little bit, but I know it's so hard for people to, uh, just like you, you went from the military right back into your lifestyle. Yep. Why is it so important to get away and be in this incubator yeah. for life change? My, uh,
1: Going back about eight years, when I first got arrested, I was um, in jail for three months and my parents bailed me out because... I had accepted Christ, and I really did, and I really did want to change. The problem was when I got out, I was placed right back in the same circumstance that got me in there in the first place, and I didn't change my surroundings, and it's hard to get clean when you're in a mud puddle. I really wanted to get totally. clean, but I was I was sitting in a mud puddle, and so that's why we say we're creating that, that incubator for life change, we're creating that safe environment, you know, it's easy to tell people and we all heard it, you know, to get rid of all the, you know, the old phone numbers in your phone, you know, when you when you make that life change, you yeah. know, get rid of all those old people and and walk away from them, but what we often fail to do is is to replace those old phone phone numbers with with good phone numbers, you know, mm-hmm. and surround them with good people. And so with if you're an addict, and I remember this, when I had I wanted to change, but the problem was I still had all, all those old phone numbers in my phone. And so the first time that I became lonely and started to struggle, uh, guess who the first person that I called was? You know, It was my old friends. I didn't have any yeah. new friends to call. So I think that's one of the most important things is, is not only getting them out of the environment that they used to be in, but also putting some good people in their life. And that's why we have a mentorship program. Every person that goes through our program will have mentors, and that's uh, highly important.
0: Yeah, I think those mentors are huge. Uh, one, one of the guys that goes to our church has been a mentor to multiple men. He mm-hmm. teaches some Bible studies and entrepreneurial classes, and been, uh, really he got me involved. I remember when he introduced me to yep. you, and and uh, for that mentorship, it's, it's such a hard thing to do because this guy may not succeed you're, you're investing a lot right. of time money energy emotional spiritual prayers in into this guy one thing i love about the 180 is you guys have a great track record and you probably went it to your own horn but you know mm-hmm. what what actually is the benefit of getting out of the 180 zone what are what are some stats can you can you talk to me about the yeah. success rate of going through a program like this
1: yeah um success rates are always hard to define um how we define our success rate we have a 92 percent success rate which is extremely high compared to you know places like a, a prison or or other establishments and um how we define it is a lot different than most people we define our success rate on anyone who's been there longer than six months uh most people define their success rate off of the graduates. So if they have 10 graduates and those 10 graduates are continue to be successful, then they have 100% success rate. Yeah. We've decided to base our success rate off of anyone who's been there longer than six months. And the reason being is because we say if they've been there for six months, then if we're doing our job right, they should have all the tools that they need to be successful and so that's how our program is is devised and uh like i said we have a 92 percent success rate and that's continued surprisingly to go up um a lot of our non-successes, so to speak, uh, were early on when we literally had no idea. <laughs> what we to were. It I out. I was just, I remember I lived in our men's home for four years and I remember, you know, our house, uh, a three-bedroom house. I was jamming, you know, 10, 12 guys in there, you <laughs> know, because I just had a heart to help people. And um, one of the things I preach to our staff all the time today is that it's not so much based on, the quantity of residents that we have it's the quality and I would rather have two people there at our home who are serious about changing their life versus 20 who aren't because one bad apple can spoil that whole thing and so we have to be very careful about who we let into our program and I contribute that our intake process if you don't want to change your life chances are you aren't ever going to get into our program in the first place. Um, We take over 75 applications every week. And so out of those 75 people, we get to pick and choose who we want to come in that program. And more often than not, they're the people who really want to change.
0: One one thing I think uh, is due to the success rate is really um, getting guys back into society, not letting them stay in the program for two, five years where they can just sit, uh, you know, stay in this incubator. But you really uh, push them out of the nest, you launch them into back into society, and your your goal is to get them as uh, you know tax paying citizens where they're having yeah. a job. They're going to be able to get married, uh, re, uh, reconcile with their children, and really uh, become people that are going to be a blessing. And I know even a lot of your staff members have been through the program, and mm-hmm. now they're being a blessing uh, with their businesses or whether whatever. Um, talk to me about your philosophy of that and just yeah. how that developed. Why is that different than many other programs?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes, um, and I've worked, I've I've worked at these programs, so I have an inside track to them. But oftentimes. Um, the goal is to push people out as fast as you can, uh, because the more success that you can show, you know, at, a, at any given point is is better. It looks good, yeah. um, looks good on paper. One of our philosophies is there's a lot of things that you have to understand, and I think the reason our staff they've all been down the road of addiction or homelessness or whatever the situation, and so they have an understanding to it. And what we don't realize is that small, small example. When a guy is in our program, we work on clearing up their debt because what happens, um, is say someone graduates our program, goes to get an apartment and they get an apartment, but, uh, they go to turn on their electricity and they realize that they have a thousand dollar debt from the electricity company and now they can't get electricity. And what that does is that sends a stress level out the roof. And, that's what we have to do as an organization is to try to clear up as many of those stressors and triggers that we can before that person gets out of our program. So we have to look at things like employment. Um, employment is very tough for our residents. And so that's why we have Eastgate Industries. And that's was created to help clear up some of those stressors and some of those triggers.
0: Those are the businesses yep, that those are our businesses. work with 180 Zone. Yep. The guys start
1: to... Yep. be entrepreneurs yep and uh things like you know your their old water bills their old electricity bills and looking at those and saying okay how do we get a head start on this so that way when you get to 14 15 months in our program and you're getting ready to move out and be by yourself that's not gonna cause you a headache or a stressor we also try to look for good employment um It will oftentimes, um, our residents will turn down two or three jobs before they actually take one. And the reason being is because all of our jobs that our residents take have to be pre-approved by us. And I know that sounds bad, but we aren't going to let our residents go work in a factory that we know that there's, you know, prostitution and drugs waiting for them when they walk outside those doors, when they get off. You know, second shift, and so we we really take that serious, evaluating their jobs, uh, so that way they can be successful. Housing is another one. Um, That's something I ran into. I got married uh, a year ago, and when my wife and I went to go get apartments, we got denied it just about every apartment we went to because of my criminal background and that's eight years later but I saw a felony on my record and so that's a real trouble too and so that's why we've created some what we call stability housing it's kind of like transitional housing it's that next step for them where we can rent rooms back to them so that they have a safe environment to change um, and to continue the process of changing their life.
0: I know, like places for lives uh, for living is such a huge uh, need in our community. We don't have a lot of uh, low income housing that people could afford or even get into, which is totally fine. Um, you know, if somebody owns a property to deny for those reasons. But how have you been? Uh, you know, really calling out and addressing that need and here in the Quad Cities.
1: The uh, well, it kind of goes back to one of your first questions of of evaluating the needs in the community and saying, you know. How, how do we take care of this need? And uh, I remember when we first started to realize this was an issue. Uh, basically what I did was I sent out an email to a few people who I thought might be interested and I said hey let's meet about this and see if there's something that we can do to help and a small group of us got together and when we started sharing the stories and they started seeing the experiences you know they would see a guy named Rock who graduated our program a few years ago and the only place that he could find a room to sleep was just this one uh, sleeping room is what they call it where it's like a efficiency apartment except smaller and it was right in the middle of the toughest part of the neighborhood and there was constant using and prostitution going on and he just couldn't mentally handle uh, living in that situation and even though he didn't use he still ended up in a hospital because of a mental breakdown and that was really a wake-up call for us saying okay if we're doing all this stuff for our guys and girls and, and giving them all these tools but we place them in a situation where you know they aren't going to be successful then what do we do about it and so we created these housing projects where um, a separate organization buys these houses and they rent them back to the 180 zone and we rent them back to our residents as that next step so um, it was once again just kind of evaluating that need seeing how big of a need it is. Uh, one of the troubles we have in our community is there is a lot of um, low-income housing, but um, it's all government-based. And right now there's a five to seven-year waiting list just to get into one of those apartments. Yeah,
0: that doesn't really help.
1: No, it doesn't. And And the big reason, because low-income housing wasn't created to be long-term housing and that's what it's turned into it's turned into long-term housing and uh because there's no plan to transition those people out of those low-income homes and to really give them the tools to be self-sustaining and so what happens is they just end up living there their whole life and uh um the people who pay the price are the people like our residents uh who really need it and want it but can't get it
0: yeah that's pretty cool i i i just love how you identify the needs to the community and i've learned so much from you about uh, just finding out where those needs are or even what you're passionate about finding the need in your community and really helping and i think anybody listening to this show can benefit from that because god lays things on our heart i know he lays things on my heart all the time and we have to be able to react to that in a, in a positive way not just throw it under the rug forget about it. God wants us to live out the gospel in our community. And as we kind of switch directions here, not just about 180 Zone, I think it's a great example of an awesome ministry and Rusty's Mm -hmm. really wise. I'm sure we'll have him back on the show (laughs) talking. I want to talk more about Eastgate Industries because that's one of my favorite part. My Mm -hmm. dad was a business owner and my father-in-law is too. I love Eastgate Industries, but that'll be for another time. But I want to switch directions and talk about Uh, your decision really partnering with local churches Uh, 180 Zone started uh, out of Rusty's heart to do this and he partnered with Calvary Church here in our hometown and uh, it's a different church than I pastor out and it's just a phenomenal place and what they've done is they empowered Rusty but tell me about your desire to make it a community organization but Mm -hmm. church based
1: local church based yeah um, well as Bill Hybels says I, I think the local church is the hope of the world and I know Um, The reason why I know that is because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the local church. Um, I would be back in a jail cell or spending some time in prison or homeless if it wasn't for the local church coming alongside me. And so that's how I know firsthand how important it is. And uh, when we first started, we had a, that was um, the whole basis was not only just to, not only to get our residents into the local church, but also to get the local church out into the community. And that was the whole focus of, of our program and still is. Because we know and we recognize that in order for whether it be a resident or whether it be someone sitting in a jail cell, um, we have to get them plugged in some way, somehow, into the local church because that's where um, they're going to be able to sustain what they're doing. That's where accountability comes into play. And uh, we have a very unique partnership with, with the local churches um, because, as I said, it's one of the... It's, probably the number one thing on my heart is to get the local church activated in the community because uh, for the most part, churches are kind of like a sleeping giant. It's not that they don't want to get involved in the community or reach out to the homeless or those with addictions. It's because because maybe they don't want to take on the liability or maybe because they don't know how to And what we want to do as an organization is to train them and equip them with those tools to say, hey guys, this is your job as a local church. We'll help you do it. We'll take on things like the liability um, and use us as just a tool. We want to be the local church's tool to be able to reach out to the community. And so uh, we have a very strong relationship with the local churches. And it's not just about one church. It's about setting aside uh, some of our differences as various churches and denominations and focusing on the one thing that we all have in common, and that's Jesus Christ. And because that's what each one of these guys needs uh, and girls need. That's what those kids in the West End need. They need Jesus Christ. Um, And so we just want to be that tool that the church uses and picks up to use. So...
0: That's pretty cool because I, I know we can always have our denominations and our groupings and our, our social classes. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to just stay within those. And I know for my church, we would definitely uh, be on the upper middle class, middle class, upper middle class, end of town. And it's it's so easy for us to not even know the needs. I know you've mm-hmm. talked a lot about prostitution or homelessness and throw out some stats about uh, those things. And it, it's just mind-boggling to people that I'm around that this is happening right in our own mm-hmm. backyard, in, in our neighborhoods, or pushed to a part of town. I would say a lot of cities are like that. And uh, for for us to partner with you guys and have that relationship, it's really helped us to bridge that gap. Yeah. And, and one of the biggest things in my heart has been the people are just like me. Maybe they uh, somebody passed away in their family, or they, uh, they had to go bankrupt because of uh, an illness, or there's just all these different things that aren't just these dangerous people but a lot of times they're normal people that have gone down one or two or many bad decisions and the church is what brings them back. Yeah. Now Let's talk about bringing in um, people that are different than us into the local church. Many mm-hmm. times churches are places that are supposed to be a hospital for the hurting and we make them uh holy, holy ground where, mm-hmm. where it needs to be clean and, and fixed up before you even come to church address some of that on how uh, just bringing guys some of these guys that you've ministered into your local church
1: yeah um you know i remember when when we when i first started going to church um awesome church with awesome people but their idea of, of outreach was just sending a check. And I remember even me walking in with the reputation that I had, and and they all knew. See, I'd gone to this church for um, a few months, and, and – everyone knew who I was. I was involved with everything. And then one day I got locked up and went back to jail and they were like, okay, where did Rusty Boref go? And I showed up, uh, eight months later and they all knew where I had gone by then. And I remember some of the looks that I got, but I also remember some of the people who just came around and, and just loved on me. And, that's uh, again where I found out the importance of the local church. And when I started, I ran their local outreach for a few years and sat on their outreach committee and, and worked with all our partners and, and all our missions, you know, both local and global. And it was very interesting to see the church make that transition. Um, and not to to my own horn, but one of the things is I think it needed someone to pioneer that and i was willing to pioneer outreach within our church even though we were great at giving money we lacked in getting our people involved in the community or involved overseas and i that was really where my heart was and so i started to pioneer that and i started to surround myself with other like-minded people and we just started pushing that forward and pushing that agenda forward and, and pretty soon it, the whole aspect of, of the church changed. And so I think um, first it, it starts with, with a few people who really want to see a change. And uh, when we started taking our residents there, we were talking about this right before we went on air, and we were talking about how uh, I remember when we first we'd have a van, and it was like this 1984 <laughs> tan van that was all rusted out, and we'd pull up with our all our guys, and they would stumble out, and you know they would stand around the van and have a, a cigarette before they went into the mm-hmm. into church, and I remember how many feathers that ruffled. And my pastor, um, after all the complaints, every Monday I would come into the office and I'd have a new complaint. You know, one of the guys, you know, accidentally said a cuss word or, you know, had a cigarette outside the church. And I was constantly dealing with these complaints. And I remember my pastor got up um, one Sunday and he said something along the lines of, of, he said, I would rather have a um, parking lot full of cigarette butts versus not having these guys here and i remember um he really became the pioneer at that time because he was saying to the church he was saying you know what um having these men here even though they aren't perfect is more important than making this look place look pretty or having a bunch of perfect people here and i remember that's really where the shift started to happen within that church and uh um, next thing you know you know majority of the church uh, was involved serving at least once a month and that was just an awesome time is is seeing that trans- transformation happen and what we've realized is as volunteers when people get involved and they start working in the west end with these kids or with these men or the women what really happens is they realize that not only are they called to do it not only are they helping that man or that woman or that kid but they get hooked and they realize that this person is worth a change. All they need is, is a chance, an opportunity. And just like Merle came in into that jail cell and, and showed me that he believed in me, they just, our residents, the kids in the West End, they just need someone to believe in them and to look past the cigarette butts, you know, or, you know, their bad habits and to see them as a person, as a human who needs Jesus.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Pastor Tim just doing that. That's just phenomenal, and and you know I strive to be a pastor like that because it's so easy for us to think uh, uh, we don't need people different than us at church. And what we see is Jesus constantly being around people just mm-hmm. like that, and and loving on them, and and really seeing transformation. And we can love people, and I I just uh, I really am encouraged by how much you love people, how much sacrifice you you put out for them, and. Really, if somebody uh, feels called to get into this type of ministry, we would say to to uh, drug addicts, prisoners, sex, sex trafficking, any any of these type of things, uh, child abuse. Mm-hmm. How would they go about that? Uh, whether they're in a different country or here in the united states
1: one of the things i always encourage people is to connect uh chances are is there's a good organization in your community and i would really do your research and find an organization uh, that you feel comfortable with and most of the time they have some type of training to help you um, get involved and so i think that's important um but i also consistency is huge um Whether it be a guy in our men's home or a kid in the West End, they're used to people blowing in, blowing up, and blowing out. Mm. They don't need that. They need someone who's going to be consistent in their life. And that's why we had that discussion on passion versus versus burden earlier. Um, Make sure that it's something that um, you feel a burden for, you know, um, if it's something you just want to get involved and find out what it's like, that's fine too. Um, but don't, um, get involved on a personal level with somebody to where they open up and and trust you and then you're gone. And I think that's something that's important to think about. Um, but I would always recommend finding an organization out there that you could get some training with and partner with. Yeah, that's
0: cool. I I know for me, uh, so many people want your church to have their own outreach programs in the community. And what I found is there's already so much that God's doing if you just open your eyes. Uh, it yeah. it's actually hard to to pick which ones to to work with, but I'm glad I'm, I'm working with you. Yeah. So we want to kind of wrap up, and I just want to uh, ask you, how could people, if they want to find out more information about you, uh, Twitter, Facebook, website, where where could they contact you and reach you?
1: I would encourage you to go to our website, which is uh, the one eighty zone org, t h e one eight zero zone org. You can also find us on Facebook or or Twitter as well. And uh, I really appreciate you, Pastor Matt, for having me here. And uh, my prayer is that some way, somehow, that, that using this podcast will, will cultivate something in somebody's life. So
0: Cool, man. I appreciate you. Thank Talk you. Talk to you later. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. What an awesome story Rusty has in a ministry they are doing. As Rusty was speaking, I was listening to the interview a second time, and this passage came to mind as I was listening to it. It's from 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18 It says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." This is the type of ministry that God is using to set people free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, I know it's in the 180 Zones ministry, and He is setting people free all throughout uh, Rusty's ministry. And we see that a relationship with Jesus Christ is not only in our spiritual lives, but it's in every area. And we see that through their work programs, through their ministry programs of where the guys live and how they use that incubator for truth to really impact people's lives. Well, we made it. We're at the end of the show. Thank you so, so much for listening. If you want to connect with me and the other listeners to the show, head on over to my blog for the show notes on this particular episode at pastormatshaw.com forward slash 002. You can see all the episodes of the Renewing Our City podcast at renewingourcity.com. There you can find helpful links and info mentioned throughout the show. Well, I'd love for you to leave a comment on my blog answering this question. What is the best way you have found to get involved with people dealing with crisis, addiction, or poverty? Also, if you could head on over to iTunes and hit subscribe, I would greatly appreciate that. Leaving a comment helps more people find this podcast and, and be able to share Jesus with our world. Lastly, if you want to find me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is past, at Pastor Matt Shaw. This has been a great episode, and I'm very excited to see how God uses you to share Jesus and serve others in your own neighborhood to around the world. See you next time.